Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn. And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas. Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ. Welcome to Lit. We are so glad to have you here. Uh, this is Bryn Vaughn and Justin Yon coming to you from Austin, Texas. And we are in the middle of a series talking about sacraments. So last week we talked about kind of what generally speaking is a sacrament. Um, we talked about what the Book of Common Prayer says about sacrament, that it is um, the outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. And now we're going to dive into what are the two great sacraments in the Episcopal Church in the Anglican tradition, um, and those are Holy Baptism and Holy Eucharist. So today we're going to spend our time really talking about Holy uh, Baptism um, and kind of dig into to what we believe um, Holy Baptism is and uh, maybe even get into some controversies about uh, about the topic. So uh, what do you think, Justin? As long as everybody knows what I say is right and what you say is wrong, we'll be good to go. I think <laughs> you should delete that. Uh. <laughs> isn't that our current landscape, right? Isn't it just all about me? And that's exactly what baptism is not about to a point. <laughs> that's right. No, okay. I'm just kidding. No, I think there is. I think we're going to have a good little tussle um, in a good way. Um, and by way of saying, I, I think that um, baptism has been one of those sacraments that has been debated uh, throughout church history, exactly what's going on, what does it mean? So I think today with you and me will be no different than this long historical trend of debating theology, debating different yeah. aspects of the sacraments, which is... I think um, a positive thing, honestly, especially yeah. since you and I have debated things before and we still come out, arguably come out the other side stronger in our friendship and our collegiality than we do going into it. I think that's the gift, right? That's the beauty of of disagreeing and, and doing it in a charitable way without well, getting... We can, we can also say and, and should say that that fundamentally we agree on this sacrament, that there are some nuances to how we might um, sort of in, interpret what, um, what happens in virtue of this sacrament. Um, but we should, we should make it clear, though, that we believe this is one of the two great sacraments, that it is um, a sacrament because it was given to us by Jesus Christ himself, um, and that we believe that there is a, a fundamental change that happens in the life of the baptized person. Um, and it's worth saying that we agree on that because that actually is something that is um, not necessarily agreed on by other faith traditions. Good point. That is a fair point. So let's back up for a second before we get into our kind of debate, which I think will be fun. It'll be fun. Um, baptism. So the outward sign is water. Mm-hmm. And and I think ironically, if you go into the prayer book, or interestingly, not ironically, maybe it's ironic to the point that we use baptismal fonts primarily across the Episcopal Church. But I'm always moved by in that rubric, uh, which is the, I think we talked about these before in a previous podcast. There's the italicized writing in the prayer book that is directives, call them rubrics. And in the rubrics around baptism, it actually states immersion, implying full immersion, and then sprinkling if necessary. Well, we in the church took the uh, 
took the immersion away primarily and do sprinkling. That's not true across every church uh, in the Episcopal church, not at all. Um, but it's kind of funny how we practice it. But the important thing is water is the outward sign. Uh, water is the outward sign. It's the, it's the entry entrance. Uh, we'll call it the, I call it the, well, this is just South Georgian right here. Entrance sacrament into the church. This is the, yeah. this is the big one. Um, well, and, I, I, Go ahead. I will say there are some churches that do full immersion baptism. In fact, the last church where I work, St. Michael's here in Austin, has um, has a, a baptistry um, and a full a full you know I don't know how many gallons it holds, but you know two people can get in there for an immersion baptism. And so I have performed a a handful actually. Not a majority of people used. Uh, decided to do that, but, but a few people decided to have full immersion baptism and it's actually, it's really cool. Totally cool. And I hope it's St. Luke's on the lake, hence the name St. Luke's on the lake that will actually go down to the lake at some point. Oh yeah. Find some folks who are interested in, and do a very, uh, a very public baptism at, at the lake. Um, which I mean, so, well, okay. So what does baptism harken back to? Well, it harkens back to Jesus's baptism. Mm-hmm. And what John was doing in the wilderness at the River Jordan. So they didn't just gather in these nice little tight little spaces, which there's nothing wrong with that. This is not a critique against what we do, even what we do at St. Luke's around. We, we actually have a, if you ever get a chance to visit us, we have um, a rock that they've carved a bowl shape out of. And the rock actually comes from the Sea of Galilee. A family hmm. donated it years ago. And it, it's cool. the first thing you see. Arguably, it creates the, what we would normally call the narthex or foyer or uh, entry point, almost turns it into a little baptistry because it's so big. Um, and that's where we do our baptisms. So I'm not knocking that at all. Um, but by way of saying that Jesus didn't go into a temple, he didn't go into a synagogue, he didn't go into a small little space and have some water sprinkled on his head. He went down into the River Jordan. The heavens were torn open. We just celebrated this this past Sunday, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Uh, the heavens were ripped open, the dove descends, but the big thing is Jesus went down into the water and that's where that, that outward sign of water really uh, takes hold. And the idea of the Holy spirit and, and what's happening at baptism with that is given life in this particular story from scripture. That's very important to our faith. Um, so that's kind of where, where, where we're coming from and, and why this is considered one of the, as we said last week, one of the two great sacraments of the church. It's worth dwelling on the, um, on this sign of water though, too, because water is such a, a powerful, um, sign for us that, that, that we have these examples throughout our scripture, um, from too, I mean, from the very beginning of, of God moving over the water, um, you know, and, uh, in creation. So we've, you know, we have the gift of water in creation and our baptismal prayer says this too. Um, when we, when we bless the water and give thanks over the water, um, then we talk about, you know, the, the river, um, or, or the sea parting for the Israelites to be able to flee from Egypt um, and then we talk about Jesus being baptized in water. And we know just that water is necessary for our human survival. Um, so there's this, you know, the the element of water is also 
essential for us. And so we have this constant reminder of the water um, that maybe we'd sort of take for granted because it's so, it's so ubiquitous. It's everywhere around us and we can, you know, think nothing of it, but without it, we wouldn't be able to live. And then, and then God goes further than just giving us this element for our survival by blessing it um, so that we live a life, um, you know, with the power of, of Christ and the Holy Spirit um, with this water. Exactly. Um, and that's, I think, the distinction, you know, and that's one of those important things. Maybe we should stop here and let me see if I can say this well. Uh, I think this is something you, you taught me along the way. Um, God takes things that we might consider ordinary and does extraordinary things with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, water, as it relates to baptism, bread and wine, as it relates to communion. Us, human beings, the creation, as it relates to our discipleship, our ability to live out. I mean, there's this wonderful song um, by Gungor that is called Beautiful Things. And the song, it's a great for a Lenten song, but just by way of saying this, um, Sometimes we consider ourselves ordinary and not necessarily capable of extraordinary things. Um, and we are. And I think baptism is a starting point for us to under, start to understand what we're capable of. But in that song, God says, or God says, Gungor sings, the lyrics say, God makes beautiful things out of the dust. And then the very next line is, uh, God makes beautiful things out of us. Um, and, I, and I think that's, that is really important that we, 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 I'm so thankful you did that, that we, we stop and notate that, that water is something, depending on where you live, that we might take for granted. Um, even if, yeah, in most places we, we take it for granted. And yet think about, even for me to go back to the point, if I were to just put myself on the banks of the Jordan, watching Jesus get baptized, there's no way that if I was standing there, even now reading the scripture, but physically trying to imagine myself standing there, seeing that all take place, that I could ever think of the Jordan River different. I mean, the same again. Mm-hmm. This ordinary, arguably very dirty river. Um, mm-hmm. And that's exactly where this amazing thing happens. Um, and that's so important in my mind. And I'm so glad you paused to, to kind of let us dwell on the water aspect of this. Um, because it's easy to gloss over and kind of move on. Yeah. Now I will say on that, kind of attached to that, one of the things that you get a theme you get in the early church and and in some Orthodox traditions, and I'm not prepared to tell you which ones, uh, and I don't want to take a stab at it uh, and and miss misquote, but I'm I'm clear in this that across Christendom, baptism is called baptism. Inside the early church and inside some Orthodox churches today. They describe baptism uh, as the sacrament of illumination by way of saying that when you go down into the waters and you come back up, you're made aware of what what we would call your dignity, your unique, uh, your unique gifts that God has bestowed upon you are made manifest and made aware to you in baptism, no matter your age, from infant to an adult, which might sound crazy to us. Uh, and that you need the sacrament of baptism as the entry point so that you can begin the work, as they would say in the early church, begin the work of discerning and sharing those gifts out with the world. Um, and that's part of what we do. 
uh, as part of what we're called to do post leaving the waters of the bapt- uh, leaving the baptismal waters is to go and start uh, cultivating these gifts and then sharing them for the betterment of the kingdom. At least that's partially what I, I believe as it relates to the result of baptism. Um, but most importantly, I love that image of the sacrament of illumination, if nothing else, that there's something very powerful happening as you, as you experience baptism. And there are some really cool things that the Holy Spirit's doing um, through the sacrament um, that you then um, can live into. Um, so I, I find that very powerful image of the early church. Yeah, I think that our baptismal covenant reflects um, reflects the idea that we take on some certain responsibilities when we're baptized. Um, when we baptize babies, we um, you know it's the godparents and the parents who who um, agree to those responsibilities for the child. Um, and agree to form the child into somebody who will carry those responsibilities themselves. Of course, then we also have um, confirmation that happens later on in a person's life where they get to affirm their own baptismal vows. Um, but there, but there's something that we believe um, is sort of required of us um, in baptism, and and herein lies a little bit of um, a little bit of. Uh, perhaps tension that that Justin and I were getting to in our uh, pre-recording conversation. So um, so Justin, maybe maybe say a little bit more about um, about our obligations or responsibilities in virtue of of baptism to to kick off our debate. I like how you throw that just right on me. Okay, so uh, where what we were debating um, and what I what I and I like tension. Tension is a good word. What I understand with baptism or the result of baptism, right? So we're not, as we've made clear, we completely 100% agree on the sacrament of baptism, its importance and prominence in the church, its entry point. Where it gets interesting for Brent and I, and for a lot of clergy throughout church history, we'll say, uh, is what happens, what, what, is, what is the responsibility that comes from baptism, and I uh, tend to believe that because we have godparents there, thinking of an infant, and then I'll, I'll correlate it to an adult, but just let's go down the infant road for just a second. You have godparents there, you have parents there. We as a church for both infants and adults, and when we use that word infant adults, let me just be clear, generally what we're speaking, uh, speaking about, uh, and we probably could say it better, is of course we're thinking of babes, but people who can't speak or are not developmentally ready to make the promises themselves. So a group of folks make those promises on their behalf. Um, So we have people present. We, the church, in our Book of Common Prayer, say, uh, we're asked the question, will you support these persons in their new life in Christ? We say, resoundingly, we will. That there is a responsibility on the church and those that are present at the baptism, along with the one who is baptized, to then begin the work of cultivating their gifts. In In the desert, they talk about this as the, as discernment. Uh, and we kind of use discernment in a lot of different ways today. Back then the discernment was really seeking out what God was calling you to do and to be, and what gifts had God given you to do those again, to be shared, uh, in the community. So when, when you're baptized, I firmly believe you have a responsibility to start sharing your gifts, to start developing and then sharing those gifts out to the world. 
um, whether you're an infant or an adult. And if you're an infant, that's the role of the godparents and parents to help you begin to do that discernment work. And as you get older, then you can start to take on those promises and understand what those promises might mean um, and begin that work yourself. So it's, there's a, there's a trade-off there. So that there's fundamentally this kind of, um, you don't just get to leave the waters of baptism in my mind and just leave the waters of baptism. Like you, you have some work you need to do and you're made aware or at least the initially you're made aware of what that is you might need to do um, when you're baptized. That's kind of the my big my big position, Bryn. Okay. Okay. So I I, uh, I, <laughs> I okay. think I would okay. I would okay. just throw in throw into this mix the uh, and it, it's not exactly that I I disagree with you. Um, I, I do believe that we take on some responsibilities that we um, that we think are important for our common life um, in the body of Christ. And, and, you know, as we've said, baptism, holy baptism is um, our entrance into full communion in the body of Christ. So when you are baptized, you become a full member of the body of Christ. And when, when you are, then yes, there's, you know, as with being part of any community, um, there are some things that, that, you know, a majority of people have to do in the community in order for that community to thrive and to continue and to be perpetuated, you know, for the next generation to take on um, roles in that community. Then we have to educate one another. We have to equip one another. We've got to serve one another. Those are all really important things. Um, But I think it's important not to lose sight of the fact that when we're baptized, we are also just simply given the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives and that that's sheer gift. Whether we do anything with it or not, we still get that gift. That gift cannot be revoked. Um, That gift can't be taken away by anybody. There's nobody in the church, even in our hierarchical church, there is nobody who has the power, um, authority, ability, um, to take away somebody's baptism or to, to, you know, take the Holy Spirit that is given to them in baptism away from them. Um, and so it's, I, I think we have to acknowledge that there's just simply a gift given in baptism that, um, that first of all, we didn't deserve in the first place. That's just grace. Um, and we we think of these um, and and we say these sacraments are an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace that there's grace given. Well, grace can't ever be merited. It can't ever be deserved um, or earned. And even after the fact, so there may be some some responsibilities that we hope the baptized person will take on in their life. Um, but if they never do, they still are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I wouldn't deny the gift aspect. I mean, to me, that's the major part of the sacrament. Um, and what we talked about last week, the fact that uh, we're made aware of, and, and you'll say this better than me, and that's good. Um, sacraments reveal grace, the inward spiritual grace that is freely given. I would not ever deny that when you're baptized, that that's not a gift because you choose not to live into it. It's going to be taken away. I think I connect with probably 
the way it's developed throughout church history to some degree and some, some strands is if we go back to the beginning, now this would have been the age of the heresies in the first few hundred years of Christianity. So baptizes, like similar to what we go through in our, uh, if you were to follow our liturgy, there's some very important questions that are asked either of the parents and godparents on behalf of the child or of an adult or an older child who's going to make these commitments themselves that to some degree traditionally connect back to what would have been the catechesis or the learning pre-baptism, which was, do you believe in God, the creator? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in the resurrection? These basic tenets. Satan. Don't forget that part. Well, yeah, you renounce Satan. You sure. renounce Satan. Do you accept Jesus Christ? But just to make a connection back to the early church, what was so big was the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So as that as that became less of an issue, as those heresies kind of faded away and the church worked through them, albeit in a very broad and general way, which to me exacerbates and highlights the diversity amongst Christian thinkers that if you look at the Nicene Creed, which was the driving force by the thir- the fourth century, um, it's very, it's not very specific. It doesn't say exactly how you should read the Bible. It doesn't say it just very basic statements. Those basic statements were what before the Nicene Creed existed or what baptized folks getting ready to be baptized had to really wrap their minds around. And then the church has moved away and then attached to what I was talking about. It's a free gift. No doubt. Grace is bestowed upon you. Grace that can never be taken away by anybody on earth. Or arguably, I mean, I may make a bold statement, or in heaven, that is a free gift. We don't have any scriptural um, notation to make us think that that can be taken away from us. Uh, Which to me, going with the early church again, furthers the argument that you have a responsibility. Yes, it's a gift, but that gift is so powerful that you would be, you should be moved by it. You should be, um, and that's part of the church's job. So like, that's part of the communal aspect of baptism. Mm-hmm. Part of our job is to come alongside people who are baptized and say, this is a big deal. Like, this is a big deal. And this is what it might mean for your life. And this is, we're going to learn as much about God from you as you might from us. Um, but we need to help you do the discernment work, just like you're going to help us continue to do our discernment work. So I guess for me, baptism initiates a journey that doesn't end, continues as, as, as the contemplative tradition says, into the next life even. We're constantly contemplating and discerning and trying to be uh, kingdom builders, if you will. And baptism jumpstarts that uh, because of the movement of the Holy Spirit. It's just so powerful uh, upon the one being baptized, but also upon the community who's making all these promises, no matter how big or small they are. Well, I'm glad you brought up the the Nicene Creed because what we say in the Nicene Creed is that we believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sin. And that forgiveness of sin is, you know, is such a powerful and incredible gift for us um, that, yes, that forgiveness of sin should, you know, free us to serve one another um, and to pursue a life of Christ, but it also just is a gift for the individual. I mean, it's a it's an amazing and powerful gift for an individual to be um, forgiven for their sins. Um, and so, I think you know one of the things that that we're acknowledging in our debate, or I think that's coming out of the debate here, is that baptism is both um, affects the individual. And like we've said, it affects the individual at a, you know, 
at a cellular level, at a, you know, what we would call an ontological level at the level of their very being. Um, and it, and it confers this guarantee of the forgiveness of, of their sin, but it also affects the community that the baptized person, um, will, will enter into and, and spend their life in. Um, and so they're just, you know, who's to say, I mean, I think they're two sides of the same coin that there's an individual gift in baptism, but then there's a a communal gift in baptism too. And one might wonder if that is part of when you look at the great commission, uh, go and baptize. If that's not part of what dare I say, God was hoping and desiring is because, and I'm glad you used the word ontological. I was being from South Georgia, I don't like to use big words like that, uh, <laughs> but down to our very being, right? Right down to our very being, but also the community there. there I have to imagine and, and believe that um, that's part of what God desires is every time the community gra- gathers for a baptism and they're so important that we're reminded and yet changed again, because each person coming to the waters of baptism is unique and different. They're not the same. We're not all the same. And we don't come out the other side of baptism the same. All we know is we, 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 we know we're forgiven for our sins, which we need to circle back to just some theological stuff that makes us different around that, that statement mm-hmm. for just a moment, but let, just to finish this thought or some, some believe we baptism, um, we die, essentially die to our old self and are born again to, in this new life in Christ. Yeah. And, and if you think about it, when we, when we baptize somebody, if the bishop's present, they they do this, or we do it on behalf of the bishop. But we uh, we seal them and mark them as Christ's own forever. Yeah. Uh, we seal them in the in baptism and mark them as Christ's own forever, and and that's really really important. Now I want to just this forgiveness of sins. There's there are some definite theological differences around that go way back that still are manifest today across denominations and traditions within Christianity. I want to be clear, at least my position, Brent, is that infants who aren't baptized are not going to go to purgatory. Right. Um, I don't I don't have a good I personally and I, and I want to be clear to you, I'm not dismissing theological traditions who believe that I'm just going to be firm in what I believe. I don't see a theological ground for that. I think that takes baptism way out of context. However, I do understand, though, that this debate happens in the early church, that uh, what we talk about original sin ancestral sin, that baptism, there are many early church writers and thinkers who believe we needed baptism to remove that, or we were very few talk about purgatory, Mm -hmm. but that there might be some separation from God. But even many of them talk about grace, which we talked about a minute ago, overcoming that separation, overcoming Mm -hmm. that ancestral sin. On the other side of the equation, there are a number of early church writers and thinkers who don't at all connect baptism uh, to original sin. And that's part of where, and what you still see in Orthodox traditions today, not all of them, but a large number of them, that's that sacrament of illumination awareness that this is an entry point. And that's where we land as Anglicans. Mm-hmm. We don't have purgatory. We don't believe in purgatory. Yeah. So this is an entry point into the body of the faithful, um, which is different. And that's a really important thing. So when we talk about forgiveness of sins. I like to to explain it in the way we just did, which is dying, dying to your old self and being born again in Jesus, being born again in Christ. Um, 
into this new life. And that's, that's really the ontological change that happens in the waters of baptism. You jump right on in there. You, you correct <laughs> me. I don't think no, I said, I, I don't think I said any heresies, but I may have come no, close I, on a couple. I, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. I think that is, you know, that's what we believe as Anglicans. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's how we fall on, on um, the forgiveness of sins and, and baptism as, as um, part of that. And I will make just an interesting point that we don't really have time to get into, but in time, I'll try to develop it. Of course, please email me questions and I'm happy to follow up and we'll find future episodes. But the uh, liturgy for baptism, the theology uh, for baptism, especially in the American prayer book tradition, is actually closer aligned to Orthodox Christianity than it is Roman Catholicism. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people compare us to Roman Catholics, which liturgically, of course, if you look across liturgical traditions, we all look very similar. Catholics, Episcopalians, Lutherans, you know, go down the line. Theologically, we actually are closer to the Orthodox, and there's a reason for that. We'll I'll mm-hmm. find a time to talk about it later. And baptism is one of those obvious places when we just talk about our theology of baptism, we are much closely aligned to Orthodox Christians than we are Roman Catholics, mm-hmm. uh, which again, I think is the beauty of how Christianity has developed across the, the ages. I, I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. It's not one's right and one's wrong per se. It's, it's just where we are. Um, and, and it's fun to, to, to meet with folks who are in a different place and grow. Right. So that's, I would say that's another offshoot of baptism is, opening ourselves up to, to being with other people and looking for uh, what the early church would call those divine energies that we're made aware of in baptism. Again, illumination, God, the gifts, and then looking for those gifts and others and, and using others to accentuate our own gifts. So that's why Christianity has always been a communal sport. It's never been an individual sport. Yeah. Always that's right. been about the team. Well, and you know, there's a, I think there are some practical realities that, that, you know, that that has to do with one it's, we can't practice this faith without each other. Um, We need each other to reflect to us the parts of the body of Christ that we don't see in ourselves. Um, you know, so we we learn more about ourselves and our faith. We learn more about God. We learn more about the life of Jesus Christ when we see that life reflected in people around us. Um, and when sometimes those people reflect the Christ that is in us to us, you know, I that that show us that. Um, so those are those are some important things. Um, but we also have to be the body of Christ so that we can take care of those people um, who who don't do that or can't do that. And one of the things that we've talked about, you know, in so many of our things relating to liturgy is that when we participate in these liturgies, we do it for ourselves, but we do them on behalf of the whole world. Um, and so yeah, there are some people who are going to be baptized and they're never going to set foot in a church again. Um, but there is, uh, there is, you know, a body of, of Christ in within the church that will continue to pray for and on behalf of those people and the whole world. For sure. 
For sure. And that's the important piece. And that's part of what our liturgy captures and why there are statements like, will you referring to everybody and those people present on behalf of Christendom? Mm -hmm. We say we will. It's not just that local congregation or that local group of people. That's a group of people speaking on behalf of all of Christendom. You know, and I think by way of wrapping up today, uh, although I've really enjoyed this conversation immensely, um, I think it's important as we as we as we said last week and as we transition to next week that uh, and Holy Eucharist that we remember baptism is the entry point into communion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's an important place for us to kind of leave off and pick up with next week that you, you need baptism. You need to come through the water to head to the table. Those are it's a very important, important journey. Yep. Um, and there are some actually some really cool distinctions between these two sacraments uh, that we can highlight along those same lines. Um, yeah. So next week, um, that's a good segue into um, to next week. So next week, we'll continue our conversation about these two great sacraments. And we will uh, talk about the sacrament of Holy Eucharist. And as you said, baptism is the um, you know, is our entrance into the into full communion in the body of Christ. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that we do, in addition to taking on these these promises in our baptismal covenant, we also we also participate in the sacrament of Holy Eucharist um, because of our baptism. So we'll we'll pick up next time on on that note, and we'll be talking about Holy Eucharist. Alrighty. Well, until next time, have a great rest of your week and we'll look forward to being together again soon. Lit is a production of the Reverend Bryn Bond and Justin Yon, Episcopal priests in Austin, Texas. We are thankful for your listenership. And if you have any questions, please find our email in the show notes below and email us questions. We will bring them up on future episodes. We'd love to hear feedback and comments and also concerns and tackle those as we are able in future episodes. And thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. And we will see you later.